<clears throat> Thank you, Brian, for the opportunity. I love to proclaim God's word. So anytime you want me to come over to your house, I'm open. <laughs> well, it was exactly one year ago that uh, I was here before you, uh, last Father's Day. And I used my best Father's Day sermon then, so I thought I would do something different today. Uh, last time, uh, I spoke about effective fathering, and uh, of course tried to apply that to everybody. Uh, but this time I thought, well, let's look at what applies to everybody, and uh, see that it also affects fathering, and applies to fathering. And so we're going to be looking at the concept of worship. And I've called it transformational worship. But I want to start out with a pretest. You know, being a teacher and being former students, you've probably all taken pretests. It's to see what you know before you cover the material, right? And so, so that you can see, well, there are things I need to learn. So, um, in your bulletin there, you can write down these answers. There will be a multiple choice, so that should help you out. All right, the first one is, which is more worshipful? A, going to church. B, going to a ball game. C, watching television. Or D, none of the above. I'll let you ponder that for a moment. Pick out your best answer, which is more worshipful. Or I could have said the most worshipful. Okay, everybody got an answer for that one? Anybody not ready to go on? <laughs> okay, next one. Uh, maybe. There, oh, what, what, too many. Uh, number two, which is more worshipful? A, reading the Bible. B, reading a magazine. C, watching a movie. Or D, none of the above. Which is more worshipful? Write down A, B, C, or D. <clears throat> Anybody not ready to go on? All right. Number three, which is more worshipful? A, going on a mission trip. B, going on vacation. C, visiting a neighbor. Or D, none of the above. All right. I'm not going to give you the answers, just like I don't in class either. You have to see what the answers are later when we have covered the material. And so you'll be able to judge for yourselves as we turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And we're only going to be looking at one verse today. 
some of you are thinking, oh, it should be a short sermon. You've never heard me before, have you? <laughs> Romans 12.1 Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Let's ask God to bless his word. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who has brought you in, has brought us into your family so that we may call you our Father. And as our Father, you have given us many instructions. And the instruction that we receive from the Apostle Paul today in Romans 12:1 is something of crucial importance for us. For it gets to the heart of worship itself, of our revering you itself, of our understanding our relationship with you as your children. And I pray that you would use the words of this verse to change our thinking if it needs to be changed, to impact our lives in such a way that we will go from here with maybe a different attitude, with maybe a different perspective, with something that the Holy Spirit can use in our lives to make us more fully servants of you. We pray that you would accomplish these things through the Word of God as the Holy Spirit uses it. Uh, Use the words that I speak to accomplish your purpose, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in most translations, verse 1 begins with the word therefore. If it's not the first word, it's somewhere there in the beginning. And whenever you see the word therefore, you always ask yourself the question, what is it there for? Right? You know that. So that means that what follows is connected to what was ahead. I mean, what is a, follows was connected with what was before. Let me say that again. (laughs) What follows is connected with what is prior to this. Now, what is prior to Romans 12, 1? You know, with this microphone, I don't need this microphone here, but I keep thinking I need to be close to it because it's sticking right there in my face. So I'm intentionally going to move away from it. There we go. (sighs) Now I feel free. (laughs) All right, so uh, if Romans 12, 1 begins with therefore... What precedes Romans 12.1? Go ahead. This is, this, this, that's not a rhetorical question. You can answer that. Anybody? Not that, I'll, not that I'll hear it, but... what Brooke, Brooke, says, Brooke, ha, Brooke has an answer. Romans 11.36. All right? So we could look at that verse, and we could say that there's a connection there. Any other thoughts? Everything in the Bible that came before this. So that would be a really broad perspective. So we have a very narrow perspective of one verse and the very broad perspective of everything in the Bible. Can we, can we get somewhere in the middle? <laughs> okay, let me help you out here. Uh, we, we, you could go back a whole paragraph or a chapter, but I would contend that what Paul has in mind for us is Romans 1 through 11. He has been going through the letter to the Romans here, 11 chapters to us, and has given a lot of information 
that is necessary for us to understand. But now we come to Romans 12.1 and he, he comes to somewhat of a conclusion or an implication from everything that he has said before. And so he says, therefore. Alright, so we're going to take uh, a few minutes for you to read Romans 1-11. through 11. You, you, don't, you don't think you could do that in a couple minutes? <laughs> okay, let me give you a, a summary. <laughs> Alright? Chapters 1 through 8. First of all, in the first three chapters, Paul talks about sin. And he talks about God's indictment of our sin and his verdict for humankind because of our sin. And the verdict is guilty, right? All have sinned. No exceptions. And there's none righteous. Not one. There's no one who seeks after God. So we have an idea of what is involved here with sin. And then in chapters 4 and 5, he goes into what is involved in salvation. And first of all, he points out that man's attempts at salvation are of no value. They're they're no good at all. We, We cannot do anything to approach God on our own. We are powerless. We are ungodly. We are sinners. We are enemies through our own efforts. However, through faith in Jesus Christ, we can have salvation. We can have peace, access to God, hope, joy, justification, salvation, reconciliation. And then we come in verses in chapters 6 through 8 to the area of sanctification where he tells us that we are, are now dead to sin and alive to God. Where he talks about the fact that we are dead to the law and we are adopted as sons. Not through our own self-effort, but through the work of the Holy Spirit. And then in chapters 9 through 11, we see the sovereignty of God in our salvation. We see how God has chosen us to be his children. He has brought us into his family. He is the one that has done not only the heavy lifting, he's done all the lifting. He has brought us into his family by his own sovereign will for his own sovereign purposes. So that's the background, in a sense, of these first 11 chapters. Uh, Romans 1 through 11 has explained our own spiritual bankruptcy and God's remedy. This is essential to understanding salvation. In fact, Jesus refers to it in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see the kingdom of God. It's necessary for us to understand that we have nothing to offer spiritually. But notice that Paul says here in this verse, this first verse of chapter 12, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, he says, I urge you, which indicates something that he is really concerned about. It borders on a command, you know, where he is is really, really pushing that we would understand this, that we would do something here. And he's urging us to do something. It says here, by the mercies of God or on account of the mercies of God, because of the mercies of God. Well, that's what we've seen in chapters 1 through 11. 
But we've seen the, the necessity of the mercy of God, and we've seen the, the, uh, the bringing about the mercy of God, how God has brought it into our lives. But what is mercy? You know, I think most of us have a pretty good idea of what it is, but sometimes I see confusion among Christian people when trying to define this term. So let me, because oftentimes there's a confusion between mercy and grace. We often use them together, and they're really two sides of the same coin, but there's a bit of a difference in the meaning. I want us to, um, whoops, went too far, there we go, uh, understand that grace is when you get what you don't deserve. Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. So, as children, some of you are children, some of us remember when we were children, there were times when we cried out to our parents for mercy, right? And there were times when we asked for grace. You know, I would like to have something, please give it to me. The same thing is true of God. We are saved, and as a result, or as a part of that salvation, we have received God's mercy. We haven't gotten what we've deserved, right? We've also received His grace, in that we have gotten what we don't deserve. Now, what Paul has in mind for us here is to understand and to respond to God because of the fact that we have not gotten what we deserve. His mercies toward us. And that brings us to our response to those mercies. He says this, that we are to present, he says, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. To present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Now, to present is a, a, another word for that would be to offer. It's a word that is, has a technical uh, meaning to it. It is a, a word used of a priest who is bringing an offering, who is bringing a sacrifice. So the, the terms uh, go together, that is offering a sacrifice. It's a, a word that is... Uh, in that context of a priest offering something to God. And so, Paul is telling us that this is what he desires for us to do, is to bring an offering like a priest brings an offering. Uh, it's interesting that he uses an aorist tense here, uh, which simply means, uh, in contrast to a present tense, if it was a pre present tense verb, he would be saying, you need to be continually bringing this offering to God. On a daily basis. But surprisingly, we might think, he uses an aorist tense. Which has more of the idea of something which is done once, or looking at the totality of something that's done. And, and I think it's maybe easiest for us to understand that when he says he wants us to offer a sacrifice, he is looking at the totality of our lives, not the daily living of it. In other words, he's saying, I want you to make up your minds now to offer yourselves to God a living sacrifice. Not that you have to do it every day, but that you are doing it from now on. That it's who you are. It's your identity. That you offer this sacrifice. Now, what is it that we're offering? Well, he says, offer your bodies. Now, I'm not going to get into all the 
the controversy there might be over whether this is simply talking about our physical bodies or, or whether it's something else. Let me just say, there's nothing you do that's not done with your body. Right? So, let, let's just skip over the nonsense of, well, it's not my spirit, it's my body. No, everything you are is connected with your body in some way. So if you're offering your body, you're offering yourself. All right? And if you disagree with that, we can talk later. But he's talking about offering ourselves, our bodies. Uh, So it's referring to our whole life. And, And, of course, that includes all the parts of our body as well as the totality of it. Now, the interesting thing that we come to here is that he says that we are to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Now, let's just put two of those words together. There are two adjectives describing the word sacrifice. The first is living. A living sacrifice. Has anybody noticed anything odd about that? What normally happens to a sacrifice? It's dead, right? The the idea of a sacrifice is that you kill it. You shed the blood. But Paul says that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. We might call that an oxymoron. You familiar with an oxymoron? Yeah, you could probably come up with a bunch of them. And uh, if I asked you to contribute, uh, we wouldn't understand because everybody would be talking at once anyway. So let me just give you some examples in case you're not familiar with the idea of an oxymoron. Uh, Things like pretty ugly. Now, is it pretty or is it ugly? It's pretty ugly. (laughs) Or how about uh, an accurate estimate? You ever had somebody give you an accurate estimate? (laughs) Or act naturally. How do I act naturally? Almost exactly. You hear really precise terms like this once in a while. I was almost exactly. Or uh, you take the larger half. Uh, Jumbo shrimp. Is this just jumbo in comparison to other shrimp? Uh, uh, it's seriously funny. I'm not sure how that works either. Uh, original copies. Have you ever had an original copy? <laughs> How's that different from another? I don't know. Um, about uh, a trustworthy politician. Now there's an oxymoron. Uh, a temporary tax increase. We promise that if you, we, we do this, it'll only be temporary. Um, yeah. Or one of my favorites is, uh, I'm going to show you a picture I took outside the city of Ephesus. Hopefully you can see this. Genuine fake watches. <laughs> I really had to think about that for a while. Okay, you're willing to sell me a fake watch, but it's genuine. As opposed to the other fake watches that are not. And I thought this was an anomaly, but I saw these signs a number of different places. So apparently, that's that's a thing to sell to tourists. Genuine fake watches. 
Well, when we think about a living sacrifice, it is an oxymoron normally. Uh, But the idea, of course, that Paul wants to get across to us is that when we're offering ourselves to God as a sacrifice, it doesn't require our death. Uh, You might say death to self in a way, but it's not our death that he wants, it's our life. We're offering our lives to God. We are a living sacrifice. Now, the word sacrifice might cause a little bit of confusion. I want to make sure we understand that by sacrifice, he's not meaning that we are offering something to God that will in some way appease him, that will in some way take away his wrath, or will will, uh, uh, bring us closer to him, bring his approval to us, uh, in, in the sense that we are doing something for God, and then he's going to respond to that. That's not what he means by a sacrifice here. This is not a sacrifice to obtain mercy. This is a sacrifice because of his mercy, or in response to his mercy. This is a living sacrifice in which I say, Lord, what do you want me to do in view of your mercies? It's a response to mercy not to obtain mercy. Now, what else do we notice about this sacrifice? First of all, we notice that it is holy. I don't know about you, but I've been bothered by the word holy a lot through my life because I I see that word in the the New Testament especially and see that I'm supposed to be holy. And um, I I almost had to disregard those verses as, as being nonsensical. How can I be holy? I know that I sin. So there's no way I can even put that in the realm of possibility. But then as I came to study uh, that word eventually, and found out that it doesn't mean what I thought it meant. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect. It means I am set apart. That I'm separated unto God. You know, think about the utensils and the furniture used in the tabernacle and in the temple. <clears throat> what are we told about those things? They are holy. Now, was there anything necessarily perfect about that item? Oh, that uh, table never sinned. No, that's not what it's talking about. It means it's set apart for something. It was not to be used for anything else. It was only to be used in the service of God. That's what Paul has in mind for us. He's not saying, well, you've got to wait till you're perfect before you can offer yourself to God because you've got to be a perfect sacrifice. A thousand times no. He's saying, I want you to consider yourselves as set apart to God, just like those utensils in the temple were. Just like that furniture in the temple. You are set apart That's what the word sanctification means. It means to simply be set apart, to be separated unto God. And Paul says, in view of the mercies of God, if we understand of of what we are deserving of God, of the the wrath of God that was upon us and how He has been merciful to us, what other response can we have than to say, I am going to be separated unto God. I'm going to offer myself as a living sacrifice which is separated to God, which is holy. 
The next word he uses is acceptable or pleasing to God. What does it mean that it's pleasing to God? It means that it is something which brings pleasure to him. You know, oftentimes we, we hear all kinds of different ideas about uh, what can I do to please God? You know, if I do this, this, and this, or if I don't do this, this, and this, that'll please God. Well, here we're told exactly what it'll take to please God. And that is to completely dedicate ourselves to Him. To be separated unto Him. To see ourselves as a holy, living sacrifice. That's what's pleasing to God. That's that's what's acceptable to God. And by the way, anything else is not acceptable. You understand? I mean, we, we come up with all kinds of formulas, and we all come up with all kinds of activities that by which we think we are pleasing God. But if we have not committed ourselves, if we have not separated ourselves, our entire lives, of who we are unto God, there's nothing else that's acceptable. Uh, the rest of it's all playing games. The rest of it is pursuing God by man's standards. The New Living Translation uh, gives us a paraphrase of this verse that might be helpful for us. He says, Dear Christian friends, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? Is it too much to ask? And we notice that what Paul says about this is that this is our spiritual service of worship. Now, what do people usually associate with worship? Number one on the list, music, right? How many times have I heard people say, and now we're going to worship? What? I, mean, we, I guess we haven't been up till now, because it's only singing, apparently, that's worship. Uh, and we even call it worship leaders, Right? Uh, hearing God's word is not, but just the singing. Uh, and I, you know, I, I shouldn't get too upset about that, and I, I don't mean to be too derogatory, but we need to make sure we understand the words we're using and the implications they have. What are some other things that people might associate with worship? Well, we might associate the idea that we're uh, praying to God as worship. You know, yeah, well, that's, if you ask somebody, well, how can you worship God? Oh, if you pray, that's worship. Uh, some associated with following a, a liturgy. Oh, I, I like going to a certain church because, you know, they have all this formality and I feel so worshipful. You know, they've got the nice windows and everything. Or even going to a church building. You often hear people say, I'm going to church to worship. When I was pastoring a church, I used to tell them, if you're going to church to worship and you haven't been worshiping before, you're probably not going to worship while you're there either. 
Because Paul says that true worship is dedicating myself to God. That's true worship. That's your spiritual service of worship. And I just want to point out a couple of things about uh, the words he uses here. Uh, the first word that's in the text, the Greek text, is the word from which we get our word logic. This is your logical service. This is the intelligent thing to do. This is the most deliberate thing you could do. Understanding what God has done for you, it's only logical that you would commit yourself to Him. Totally. What other sense could there be? If you, and if you are resistant to saying, oh, I don't want to give my whole life to God, I'll just give Him part of it, then you don't understand what God has given you. You don't understand the, the depths of sin in which you existed before His mercy came upon you. So it's logical. And then the last word there is a word used for priestly service. This is the logical thing. This is the priestly service that you can give. John Piper says, Worship means using our minds and hearts and bodies to express the worth of God and all that He is in Jesus. And that's a 24-7. That's not just on Sunday morning. So the answer to those questions that you answered at the beginning, the pretest, for all of them, was none of the above. Because you can do those things which were on the list that seemed to be rather religious and not be worshiping God. But if you understand that your whole life revolves around a, a service to God, and that your whole life is one of worship to God, then you can worship God just as easily in any of those activities as another. Does that make sense? In closing, I want us to consider this great hymn written by Isaac Watts. Wonderful hymn writer. Wrote many. In fact, he wrote so many hymns that there were whole hymn books published of just his hymns. And this is one of the ones that is probably the most used. When I survey the wondrous cross... On which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and poor contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? And then the last verse. Were the whole realm of nature mine. If I owned everything in the world, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. May, may, may that be the prayer and the attitude of each one of us. Today. Now, the Apostle Paul knew the problem that we all have with verse 1, and that is a living sacrifice 
tends to crawl off the altar. He addresses that in verse 2. But I suspect you want to get to Father's Day dinner. So I'm going to invite you back in about five weeks for us to look at Romans 12 too and find out how do we accomplish this task of being a living sacrifice. We're going to close by singing the hymn that we just read together.